Thank you, Pastor, and thank you very much for the music this morning. I have enjoyed it all. You know, this is a great day for you to enjoy some good music and some good eating. And I'm the one that has to go before you eat. So right now you're thinking, boy, I sure hope you talk fast, and this is very short. I, uh, I'm glad to be with you to give you something that God did for me in my life. I've had the opportunity of speaking for a number of organizations in their conferences around the world. And I was doing a conference in Malaysia and had the opportunity of speaking at a church that I normally would not be in. It was an Anglican church. And we were there using their facility because they have a youth hostel and they could house the group that was there. They could house up to 800 young people. And uh, so we were using their facility. And the bishop, who was also the bishop of Saba in that part of Malaysia, welcomed everyone to his facility, which is a normal thing to have, have happened. That night we had the service. We had 63, 65 young people saved that evening. And he walked up to me afterwards. He says, wow, that was a tremendous moving of the Spirit of God. I said, yes, it was. He said, when does this meeting end? I said, this meeting ends on Saturday. He said, when do you leave? I don't leave till Monday morning. He said, would you preach all the services at my church on Sunday? And so I paused because I've never spoken in an Anglican church before. And I said, can we have a conversation? And as a result of our conversation, I agreed that I would preach his services on Sunday morning. There were three services back to back on Sunday morning and something unusual happened. I was sitting just on the front row waiting for my time to preach. Songs were being sung, announcements were given, and then there was an eight-minute presentation of the gospel, as clearly as anyone could give it. I was a bit shocked. They sang other songs, and then it was turned over to me to preach that morning. The second service, the same thing happened. The third service, the same thing happened. When we went out to eat, I asked, how often do you do the gospel presentation? He said, I do it every service. He said, I never want anyone to walk into the doors of my church and not know what the main thing is. He said, I do it for two reasons. Number one, so that they know the gospel. Number two, so that all of the people in my church hear the gospel so many times they can give it at a moment's notice no matter where they are in the world. And I thought that was a brainstorm. But he said, you must realize I'm in a Muslim country. It's against the law for us to give the gospel on the streets. But people come to my facility because the All Saints Anglican Church is a historical site in Kinabalu, Malaysia. And anyone that comes in these doors, I want them to know what the gospel is. It is all about the gospel. Art Rohrheim, who founded Awana Clubs International, an organization I speak a great deal for, has been a friend of mine for almost 40 years. Art is 99 years old. I saw him just a few weeks ago when I was in Chicago area. A number of years ago, Art said, I want you to go with me to Sendai, Japan to meet an individual. I put it off, quite frankly, for a couple of years because I could not see paying the money that it would take to fly to Sendai, Japan, just to meet one person. 
Bobby Finch, who traveled with me as my song leader, Bobby said, you know, my dad started a number of churches in Japan. He's still there as a missionary. Why don't we line up meetings with my dad? We can go meet this gentleman and then have meetings with my dad. I said, that's a good idea. That made it more of a beneficial trip, I thought. But I come to realize I didn't need to have the extra meetings to make the trip beneficial. Going to meet one individual changed my life. His name, Paul Broman. Remember the name because you might want to look up some things on the internet. B-R-O-M-A-N, Paul Broman. I'm going to tell you right now, as briefly as I can, about a man who has put the gospel into the hands of more people than any other human being who has ever lived on our planet. And no one knows who he is. Paul Broman. In years gone by, there was a tabernacle in Chicago, affectionately known as the Chicago Tab, pastored by Paul Rader. Paul Rader's ministry only lasted 11 years because Paul Rader died at 49 years old. But from that ministry, something amazing happened in our country. Seven worldwide ministries were birthed from seven young people in the same youth group at the same time. I have a list of them here. I often forget them. But Transworld Radio started, Paul Freed. HCJB Radio, Clarence Jones in Quito, Ecuador. New Tribes Missions, Paul Fleming. Awana Clubs International, Lance Latham and Art Rohrheim. Slavic Gospel Mission, Peter Dynica. Seven worldwide ministries and one man's name, Paul Broman who happened to be in the same youth group at the same time. After the war, World War II, he went back to Japan with the purpose of giving the gospel to the Japanese people. Paul Broman's a big man. He was a giant in Asia. He was about 6'8", and he just towered over everyone. When he went to Jin, uh, Sendai, Japan, when they arrived, there was a group that traveled with them. They went out under one of his friend's ministries, New Tribes Ministries. And when he got there, they just immediately started going to the streets, proclaiming the gospel on the streets in Tokyo and Sendai, Japan. He was often beaten. His brother Phil told me on one of the occasions there must have been 500 people there and he was stripped of his clothing and beaten and many times they were put in jail as a result of what they were seeking to do there in those early days in Sendai, Japan. Along the way, Paul met and married a Japanese woman and he took on a Japanese name and became a naturalized naturalized Japanese citizen. One of the times when they put him in jail, they thought they were just locking up the American, but little did they realize that now he was a citizen of Japan, and it embarrassed them. And they said, leave Paul Broman alone, and he continued to preach on the streets, and he was left alone. You may not realize this, but it is against the law to preach the gospel on the streets of Tokyo and Sendai, Japan today. It's against the law for everyone except the Broman family. And they have been grandfathered in, and they've been doing it for years all over Japan. But along the way, he realized that preaching on the street corners was not, was not doing the job. And I don't want you to miss this phrase, because it's a phrase I heard over and over the week that I spent with him. 
God, give me an idea how I can have more access to people for the purpose of giving them the gospel. There's a life verse that he has. I'd like to read it for you because once you see the verse and understand Paul Broman, it makes this verse come alive. It's found in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. It was his life verse. And when he, when Jesus had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him, underline this phrase, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Losing one's life, denying oneself for the sake of the gospel was Paul Broman. God, give me an idea. He said, God dropped an idea into my lap to start kindergarten programs in Japan. Kindergarten programs? He was not interested in the education of the Japanese people, but what he was interested in is access, access to people. He felt if I start the kindergarten programs, it would give me access not only to their children, but it would give me access to their parents for at least a year. And so the kindergarten programs began. If you look up the kindergarten programs in Sendai, Japan, you'll find something rather amazing. The one that I spoke at, Maesai, had over 900 kindergartners there. It's an amazing thing to see because they're all exactly the same size and they look exactly the same. 1,000 kids throughout other kindergarten programs that they have, and it's been going on now for over 60 years. He's had access to all of these parents and all of their children for these 60 years. It's amazing how it expanded and grew. The kindergarten programs continue to reach people to this day. But the purpose is not for the purpose of education. The purpose is for the purpose of sharing the gospel. In those kindergarten programs that I had the opportunity of witnessing, I saw many things that spun from it. He and his wife have 23 children. Ten natural born and the other 13 adopted. But he did something with his children I've never known anybody ever to have done, which shows the importance of the gospel. All of their children, all 23 of them, speak five languages. They all learn Japanese and English. And he hired tutors to teach his children Chinese. For he felt that one day the gospel could open into China and he wanted all of his children to be able to converse the gospel in the language of those people. And then hired tutors to teach two other languages to all the children, though they were not the same languages. All the children speak five languages, three are the same, but the other two are all different for one reason, so that his children might be able to give the gospel to the peoples of the world and what a benefit that has become. Along the way, he realized that a lot of money was coming in as a result of the kindergarten, but he told his children, this money does not belong to us. 
I asked God for the idea, and he gave me the idea for the purpose of the gospel. They lived in a four-room shack. His brother, Phil, who became the headmaster of the kindergarten programs, lived in the loft of the barn. When I go to the farm there and I see the barn, it's like a barn I grew up in in Mississippi. It had a ladder just nailed to the wall. He goes up the ladder and in his room upstairs, there's a refrigerator, there's a couch, there's a bed and his clothes hanging over the bed and that's all his earthly possessions. While I was there for the one week that I was there, meeting Paul Broman, he wore the same clothes the entire week that I was there. He's a man who chooses to have nothing. Though as a result of the money that was coming in from the kindergarten programs, he could have absolutely anything he wants. But he denied himself for the sake of the gospel. Along the way, he said, God, give me an idea how I can do a better job giving the gospel. And he said, I saw that computers in the 60s were going to be a big thing in our world. I went to Hong Kong. I found every book that I could find that had anything to do about computers and programming computers. And he said, I taught myself how to program computers. He wrote the program, if you're computer literate, you might understand it. He wrote the program called Q3 Basic, which is the basic program used by computer programmers all over the world to write their programs. It is often thought that Microsoft would not even have existed had it not been for the program Q3 Basic written by a missionary by the name of Paul Broman. All of a sudden now, tens of thousands of dollars came in from royalties until the tens of thousands turned to hundreds of thousands, until the hundreds of thousands turned to millions, until the millions turned to hundreds of millions because they still operate today in conjunction with Microsoft all over the world. And all of a sudden, what do you do when you have a little bit of money? When they moved to Japan, every bit of money they could have, they put into printing materials as they were preaching on the streets. When the kindergarten programs, now tens of thousands came in, what do you do? He put in material to give the gospel to the peoples of the world. Now what do you do when you have hundreds of millions of dollars coming in? They still continued to live in the shack. They've never owned an automobile. They live very meagerly. And yet all of the businesses, if you look up Grape City International, their businesses are now situated all over the world. But I'm going to leave Japan right now and take you to another meeting that I was taken to. For Art Rohrheim not only wanted me to beat Paul Broman, Art Rohrheim wanted me to go to another meeting, a man that was being honored. I went to the NRB, the National Religious Broadcasting Meeting, in Los Angeles when Bill Bright was being honored. I'll confess, as I was sitting there at the banquet that night, I really didn't have a great interest of what was going on. I was there just with my friend Art Rohrheim. Bill Bright, whom I knew a little about, was being honored. He was being honored for the Jesus film. At that time, I had never heard of the Jesus film. And so as I sat there, Paul Eshelman, Bill Bright, started showing pictures of the Jesus film as it was being shown all around the world. You'd see crowds of 5,000 people watching the Jesus film in various countries, 10,000 people, 15,000 people, 20,000 people. My initial thought was, this is admirable. 
that someone has taken the time to produce something about Jesus that all of these people have been able to see. That's all I thought. It's admirable. But it was relentless, for it went on and on and on for 45 minutes, pictures all over the world until the crowds were reaching a half million people, a million people, two million people. Teletron screens were erected in countries around the world, people sitting on both sides of the screen, a sea of people watching the Jesus film. After about 45 minutes, I put my fork down because I couldn't believe all the crowds of people I was seeing in third world countries around the world. The reason Bill Bright was being honored that night was because they had reached the one billion mark. One billion people had seen the Jesus film. I sat there astounded. How could one billion people have seen something I have never heard of? Go look at their website today. It's more than one billion people. They are nearing four billion people who've seen the Jesus film. But I know why four billion people have seen the Jesus film. It's not because of Bill Bright. It's not because of Paul Eshelman, the director of the film. It's because of a man who sits in Sendai, Japan, who has denied himself of anything he could have, asking God, give me an idea how I can reach the peoples of the world. And now nearly four billion people have seen the Jesus film because of one man by the name of Paul Broman. When Paul Broman left the United States, he had a mindset of the missionaries of old. When he went to the country, he went to stay. He's only been back to the United States a total of 13 days in the 60-plus years before he died in Sendai, Japan. The reason he came back was because Bill Bright wanted to honor him because he realized he was the one who had made this film possible. And he came to Florida and was honored by Bill Bright in Florida and then went to spend time with his childhood friend, Art Rohrheim, in Chicago, Illinois. And that's the only time he's been back to the United States. God, give me an idea. I have now this money. How can I better get the information that needs to be gotten out to the world? Give me an idea. And God dropped another idea into his lap. He started what's called friends clubs. When the children would leave, they would leave and they'd go to their state-supported school, first grade, second grade, third grade, and so forth. But he gave them the opportunity to come back to their kindergarten building where they had gone to kindergarten to teach them English. After World War II, all the Japanese people wanted their children to learn English, and they flocked to the English classes. It gave him access to these young people for a longer period of time, for years, actually, as he taught them English. And the textbook was the Bible, and the emphasis was the gospel. And it always has been and still is to this day. When we were there, we spoke to the friends' clubs. Thousands of kids came to the friends' clubs. We were asked to pray for a group. I didn't expect to see what I saw. He challenged, because the friends clubs have been going on for now 55 years, he challenged these young people, give your life for the sake of the gospel, at least for a period of time, for 18 months to three years, give your life for the sake of the gospel. Everywhere the Jesus film has been shown all around the world, there have been teams of young people there. There are 40 
teams scattered throughout the world today, made up of over 100 young people in each of the teams, all from those friends clubs. We were asked to pray for one team that was leaving. We walked outside. There were bobtail-type trucks, and behind those trucks, semi-truck loads of materials that were going to be distributed. A hundred kids gathered around. You opened up one door, 13 beds in the back of one truck. Open up another, 13 beds in the back of another. They lived in those trucks for 18 months to three years, traveling where the Jesus film was shown, distributing material. Because every time someone leaves a showing of the Jesus film, they're handed a four-colored process book, everything you need to know about Jesus and what he's done for you. And when they leave that film, they have a presentation of the gospel they take into their hands. It's been going on for years and years and years to show you how he thinks. Their computer business, Grape City, writes computer programs for governments. It is amazing how God has opened the doors for them around the world. They were sitting in Myanmar, old Burma, talking with government officials. When they had a quiet time, when they were not dealing with computer issues, Paul Broman said, God, give me an idea how I can reach these people because the gospel is closed to Myanmar. And he says, while I was sitting there, God just gave me an idea. When they walked back in the room, Paul said, you know what I'd like to do for your country? I would like to produce visitors' videos for your country. <laughs> he said, my son looked at me as if I was losing my mind. What are you talking about? We're not even here to talk about any of that. Why would you want to do that? Your country needs money. Visitors coming to your country could bring income to your country. That would help your country. Is that his intent and purpose? No, his intent and purpose is the gospel. He said, I'd love to produce the visitor's video, and I would do so if you would let my ministry teams come to your country. Well, we don't know if we'd be interested. We'd have to see it before we could say yes or no. So he goes back to Joshua's eldest son and said, Son, learn everything you can about television equipment. Everything they've done is self-taught. They have now one of the most fabulous studios you could imagine. They went to Myanmar and they were flown all over the country at their government's expense and they videoed everything they could from Myanmar and they produced the film. Joshua produced it in five languages because Joshua has been speaking five languages since he was a kindergartner. When they produced it and gave it to Myanmar, Myanmar people were blown away with it. Matter of fact, it was so excellently done, it's been shown in the United States through National Geographic. They were blown away, and they said, yes, we would like this. He said, if you'll let my ministry teams come to your country, I'll be glad to produce it for you as long as you need it. You don't understand. We might want it in many languages, and you don't know how many thousands of copies we would want. I don't care how many you want or how long you want them. I'll produce them as long as you let my ministry teams come to your country. Today, there are three ministry teams in Myanmar. And it is thought before they leave Myanmar, by the way, when they went to Myanmar, it was in the midst of their civil war, which has ended, thankfully. 
But three ministry teams are in Myanmar today, and it's thought before they leave Myanmar, every household in Myanmar will receive a copy of the book, Everything You Need to Know About Jesus and What He Has Done for You. God, give me an idea. And I think if there's anything that we need to do as an individual and we need to do as a church, you say, God, give us an idea how we can reach more people with the gospel in our community. Give me an idea how I can reach my family. Give me an idea how I can reach my associates. It might be something that is off the wall, but everything that Paul Broman did, he did for the sake of the gospel, and it is amazing how God has blessed it around the world. When you go on their website, you'll notice they have offices in Singapore. They have offices in Japan. They have offices in Canada. They have offices in the United States working in conjunction with Microsoft and then offices in L.A. They have offices in Australia. They have offices all over Europe. It's an amazing thing. Guess where his children are? His children who are now in their 40s and 50s, his children are in the countries around the world from the languages they learned from the time they were kindergartners. And today in Grape City International, the money that comes in from their computer business goes right back into the printing of materials for the gospel. There's another film on the horizon. It was shut down in 2008 because of the financial crunch that hit their business and hit around the world. But there's another film. If you go on and look up Kingdom Come New Zealand, you'll find some of the set has already been built for the new film. Because they saw what the old film did around the world since its production back in the 70s. And they wanted to do a new film. It was his goal before he died, but he died in 2012. His goal was produce the next film, Kingdom Come. Going from the literal days of creation to the judgments. And I had the opportunity of seeing hell as they were depicting it because of their computer graphics. It's amazing what they can produce. And it was so frightening to see. Producing another film is a wonderful thing. God, give me an idea how we can show it to the world simultaneously. Give me an idea. His son Joshua lives in Los Angeles and they approach Paramount. Because they had the ability of producing the film, but what they needed was the ability to distribute the film around the world. And his goal was that everybody could see the film in all the languages of the world simultaneously, which has never, ever been done. They met with Paramount about their religious film. Paramount said, we're not interested in religious film. You don't understand. Our first film has been viewed by over 4 billion people. Paramount said no film has ever been seen by 4 billion people. They started showing them the pictures, the same pictures I saw at the NRB, and they saw the crowds and crowds of people around the world, and all of a sudden Paramount said, we would be interested. Why is Paramount interested? Money. Why is Paul Broman interested? Access. Access to people. God, give us an idea at Temple Baptist Church how we can have access to people. To tell them the most important story that can ever be told 
the gospel. I'm going to close with a verse of scripture. It's the gospel. Matter of fact, it's the only place that the gospel is given for us in a nutshell in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are three words that are pointed out that I want to highlight. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received. Important word. And wherein you stand, and by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed, important word, in vain. For I delivered, important word, unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and the third day arose again according to the Scriptures. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Paul said, these are the things that I've believed. And these are the things we have received. And these are the things we have delivered unto you. Three words important to the gospel. You must believe it. But believing it is not enough. You must receive it for yourself. It's a gift, and a gift must be received. But herein is the message to the church this morning. It must be delivered. God, give me an idea. Give me access so we can deliver the gospel fervently and more effectively to the people closest to us. Father, I would pray this morning that for those that are here this morning that have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would do so today. It's not a particular prayer that must be prayed. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a matter of believing. First John, or John chapter 1 verse 12 For as many as received him, to them gave he the power of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's a matter of believing and receiving. And Lord, I pray today that if there's one that might be sitting here that has never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ or received him, that right where they're sitting, right now, they'd say, Lord, that's the decision I want to make. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's a matter of believing and receiving what Jesus Christ has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection that guarantees heaven and guarantees the forgiveness of our sin. But then, Lord, I pray that today that we who have been saved, we who have believed, we who have received, that you'd speak to our heart about denying ourselves for the sake of the gospel that it might be delivered to those who need to hear it.